You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So last Friday, if you were online, if you were on Twitter or visiting any news blogs, you heard about this story, this post at Gawker. Gawker did a long post about a particular brand of humanity that I hadn't ever heard branded in this way, a C-suite executive at Condé Nast who is a married man and a father of three kids, uh, married to a woman. We have to clarify those things these days. Married to a woman who booked a gay male prostitute, escort, uh, porn star, and slightly deranged sounding conspiracy theorist as it all shook out on Friday afternoon to join him in Chicago for a weekend. And he's going to pay him $2,500 to come have sex with him in Chicago. So the porn star managed to figure out who the executive was. And it turned out he was the brother of a former Obama administration official. And I'm not going to use any names because I don't want to participate or help out this guy any further. But the porn star figured out who he was and threatened to out the executive if the executive didn't use his political connections to the Obama administration to assist the porn star in a dispute with the porn star's former landlord. It's complicated. The executive, and we know this because we all got to read all of their exchanges, the executive gently refused, paid the porn star his full weekend $2,500 fee, and canceled the booking. And the porn star, who had been threatening to blackmail the executive to go public with this information about him, if he didn't do what he was demanding, the porn star turned it all over to Gawker. Gawker published it all, sort of helping the porn star to make good on his blackmail threat. There were howls of protest, left, right, and center. This is rare. The entire interwebs was in agreement. Uh, professional sex workers like Mistress Matisse was outraged by the Gawker post. Everybody at Reason.com and the National Review and Talking Points Memo all over the internet, Huffington Post, everybody had something to be outraged about, including the gay baiting and gay shaming that seemed to be bundled into this. Gawker's uh, editor-in-chief defended the post with this tweet. Given the chance, Gawker will always report on married C-suite executives of major media companies fucking around on their wives. All righty. Friday, uh, I quickly tweeted out a reaction to that rationalization for this post. Problem with Gawker's thinking? We don't know if this C-suite executive was fucking around on his wife. Some marriages are open. Some husbands are bi. Some wives allow for outside contact if husband makes an effort to be discreet. And even if this guy was fucking around on his wife, unless the guy is a moralizing public scold and it proves political hypocrisy, this is not news. But Glenn Greenwald, writing on The Intercept, I think he said it best. What's significant to me is the unstated premise of Reed's claim, wrote Greenwald, that the wife of this CFO is a victim. Reed is posing as her chivalrous defender. He only published this article to avenge the wrong done to her. There's even the strangely sexist formulation to his vow. Gawker, he declares, will always report on married executives of major media companies fucking around on their wives. What about when the cheating executives are women and the spouse is a man? He doesn't say. His self-proclaimed mission is to protect this little lady from the harm that has been inflicted on her. This is far and away the most common justification cited for sniffing around in the private sexual lives of people. We're just upset for the victim's spouse. But even if one wants to pretend – I'm just going to keep reading Greenwald because it's so good. But even if one wants to pretend that the sentiment is genuine, the logical flaw is glaring and obvious. Max Reed and everybody else at Gawker has absolutely no idea what this CFO's wife knows about what her husband does, nor does he have any idea what agreement or arrangement they have governing their marriage. Nor should he know because it's none of his business. Long-time marriage, Glenn goes on. I'm sorry, I'm reading three paragraphs. I just have to. Long-time marriage, Glenn goes on. Between two complex adults is a very complicated dynamic to navigate. People invent all sorts of ways to manage that. It's, of course, possible that the CFO's wife thought she was in a rigid, lifelong monogamous relationship with a purely heterosexual male and is shocked and betrayed to learn otherwise. But it is also very possible that she was well aware that he isn't any of those things and the spousal agreement between them permits this flexibility on one or both of their parts. All right. So that was Friday. 
Glenn wrote that on Friday, and everybody left, right, and center was in violent agreement with Glenn Greenwald. And that doesn't happen very often. He's a great writer and a very controversial writer. And it's really rare when Glenn Greenwald puts up a massive post and the whole world is like, right on. But everybody's like, right on, what Gawker did, outing this nobody was wrong. Marriage is complicated. There may not have been any victims here other than the guy who was outed. And even if the wife in this case was being victimized by her husband's conduct, it's still nobody else's business. Which brings us to the big adultery news breaking this morning as I sit down to record the intro to this week's Lovecast. This from Business Insider. Extramarital affair website Ashley Madison has been hacked and attackers are threatening to leak data online. So these hackers uh, found an entry point through the back door somehow into Ashley Madison's data after Ashley Madison bragged that its data was the most secure site on the internet, totally secure, and hackers found their way in and got the personal information, contact information, sexual fantasies, Presumably the uh, chats that people have conducted on the site of their 37 million users and they're threatening to put it all online, to dump it all online and expose these 37 million people. And this news about Ashley Madison and the hack is generating a lot of outrage this morning. But the outrage isn't directed at the hackers who are threatening to out not just one guy for cheating on his spouse but 37 million people who may have cheated on their spouses or may have merely contemplated cheating on their spouses long enough to create an account at Ashley Madison. This time, when we're talking about the 37 million, people are furious with the cheaters, not the outers. A few tweets. No one should have their personal information released without their consent, but you can't help but laugh. Hashtag Ashley Madison. An act of karma at Ashley Madison. How about stay single or be in an open relationship? Don't promote cheating. Finding it extremely difficult to feel any compassion for Ashley Madison users. I'm not cherry picking. That is the tenor of the entire Twitter feed reaction to the Ashley Madison hack. One of my followers reacting to something that I tweeted where I pointed out that anyone who was outraged by what Gawker did to that one guy should be equally outraged by what hackers were doing to these 37 million people. One of my followers tweeted back, not outraged by the hackers. Partners these people are cheating on did not consent. No sympathy. Hackers suck, but so do cheaters. I don't get it. I'm a little mystified by this disconnect between the unified reaction that everyone had to Gawker on Friday, which is they were doing this terrible thing, and this support for the hackers and outing all of these maybe cheaters. The hackers are to be celebrated because they are coming to the defense of the victim spouses of all of these cheaters. But Gawker is to be condemned for doing basically the exact same thing. Now, I know Gawker is a news site that does journalism. And yes, they do do journalism. And that we hold journalists to a higher standard and journalists hold themselves to a higher standard than we hold a bunch of anonymous hackers. But the violation at the heart of both of these stories is – Exactly the same. People who may or may not have been cheating on their spouses are going to be outed. Their lives are going to be upended. Their children could be traumatized. But they're cheaters, screams the internet. Cheaters are terrible people. Cheaters deserve to be exposed. And this is the exact same internet that just three days ago was overflowing with a nuanced understanding of infidelity where a wealthy, politically connected white man was concerned. That seems like a weird and to me possibly classist disconnect. Long-term marriage, like Greenwald says, and anybody who listens to this podcast should know, is a complicated dynamic and people invent all sorts of ways to manage that complicated long-term dynamic. And yes, cheating is one of the ways people manage that dynamic. It is not ideal. It would be great if everyone who felt compelled to cheat could either negotiate an open relationship or end the one they're in now. But sometimes cheating, as I've frequently said, is the least worst option available to someone. Slogging through the Savage Love Mail for the last 25 years and your calls for the last six has convinced me of this. There are a lot of people out there who have good cause to cheat. Men and women trapped in sexless marriages, men and women trapped in loveless marriages, men and women who have essentially been abandoned sexually and or emotionally by spouses that they aren't in a position to leave, either because their spouses are economically dependent on them or vice versa or because they have children who are dependent on both partners. They just can't 
get out. I have an example for you. Came in the mail today, this morning, as I was reading about Ashley Madison. This pops into my email. This woman has two children with special needs. She's been out of the workforce for 15 years. She's financially dependent on a husband who decided five years into their 15-year marriage that he was done with sex, but he didn't want her sleeping with anyone else. The marriage, she writes, is good. Otherwise, she and her husband have an affectionate, low-conflict relationship. Their kids are happy and well-cared for and require a ton of their attention. But the sexual deprivation is driving her out of her mind and threatening her marriage. What would you advise this woman whose letter came today to do? I would advise her to do what she needs to do to stay married and stay sane. And until this morning, I might have advised her to join Ashley Madison. You know, it's easy to see cheating as a morality play with clearly identifiable victims and victimizers. But as Esther Perel says in her terrific TED Talk video, Rethinking Infidelity, which is online and on YouTube and you should go watch it. As she says in that video, the victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage. Marriage is complicated. Cheating is complicated. You know what's not complicated? Outing. That executive gawker outed last week did not deserve to be outed. And the members of Ashley Madison being outed today, they don't deserve it either. All right. Your call's after this. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Bull and Branch, luxury, affordable, fair trade certified sheets. Get 50 bucks off a set of sheets plus free shipping by going to bullandbranch.com and entering Savage. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by NatureBox. NatureBox ships great-tasting, wholesome snacks right to your door. Forget the vending machine and start snacking smarter with wholesome, delicious treats like watermelon mini stars. Support the Lovecast by ordering a free NatureBox sampler at naturebox.com slash savage. People, I am talking about free snacks and really good free snacks. We devour them when they arrive here in our offices. For your free sampler of NatureBox snacks, go to naturebox.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Harry's. For guys like you who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now, go to harrys.com and get five bucks off your first purchase by entering the code DAN when you check out. Hi, Dan, 27-year-old straight female calling from Washington, D.C. This question is not about me. It's about family issues. My sister is two years older than me and is going to marry her fiance, a lady who is wonderful and we all love her, um, in February. So she came out something like five or six years ago. No surprise to anybody. She's very uh, feminine, but she's never had an interest in boys. And we all suspected she was gay. And when she came out, it wasn't not a surprise to anyone. However, even though she's been out for a long time and has lived with women and is living with her fiance and has not expressed an interest in men for a long time, my mother refuses to kind of just accept the fact is a raving asshole about this relationship and basically talks to whoever will listen about her disappointment with my sister and how disgusted she is by this charade and how the wedding's an atrocity and she's so embarrassed. And I don't know what to do. I'm sort of stuck in the middle. I'm on my sister's side, but my sister doesn't really make it easy. Um, she herself is very selfish and self-absorbed and arrogant and uppity. So while I'm on my sister's side, she doesn't make it easy. Meanwhile, my mom, I can't station with her uh, for more than a few minutes without hearing about how disgusted she is with my sister. And I say things like, you know, have you thought about seeing a shrink? Or, hey, do you think you can keep that to yourself? And she'll say that she has no one else to talk to about it. And I don't know how to tell her, hey, can you just shut up and show up and keep your mouth shut at this wedding? It's pretty frustrating. It's not couched in any religious stuff. She's just a bigot. And... Her words are really hurtful. So if you have any advice for how someone stuck in the middle can navigate this family situation, I would appreciate 
Your thoughts. You're not obligated to talk to your mother because she has no one else to talk to about this shit. That's not a trump card that forces you to stay in the room or entertain these discussions. You should say to your mother, you have no one to talk to about this. If I'm the only one you have to talk to or have had to talk to about this, that's over and now you have no one because I am not talking to you anymore about this shit. I don't want to hear the homophobic crap. I don't want to participate in these conversations. Come to the wedding. Don't come to the wedding. I don't fucking care, but I'm not listening to this shit anymore. Let's talk about how awful True Detective is this season instead. Something like that. Lay it down once. If your mother starts in again because she's just got to vent all this hateful bullshit, get up and leave the room. She needs to vent hateful bullshit. That's what Twitter is for, it seems, these days. Or Tumblr. You aren't obligated to be her sounding board. You are not obligated. As for your sister, go to her wedding. I understand that she's a bit of a self-involved narcissist. Some people, that's a lifestyle choice. Some people, that's temporary bridal insanity. Hopefully, she will get through it and get over it. Your only obligation to your sister is to love her and support her and show up on her big day when she marries this wonderful woman. You say her fiancé is wonderful. Hopefully, her fiancé will sand the self-involved narcissistic edges off your sister in their lives together and she will make your sister into a better person. This is an easily solved problem. Go to the wedding. Tell mom you're not going to talk to her about this bullshit anymore and tell mom that she should go to the wedding too. But if not, if she can't go to the wedding without being a sourpuss, don't go to the wedding and she can nuke then her relationship with one of her children if that relationship is less important to her than her hateful homophobic bigotry. Hi, Dan. I have a question for you about weddings. Um, As you're well aware, gay marriage has officially been legalized in the United States. And soon after that ruling, I went to a wedding. And during the wedding, the pastor was making his speech about what marriage is and what it means. And he made a very strong point that marriage is between one man and one woman because it must be childbearing. And this seemed, at least to me, to be his way of saying that the legalization of marriage was unacceptable. Now, I realized I was in a church, and those thoughts sometimes come up to territory, but regardless, um, him saying those things made me very angry. So angry, actually, that I wanted to stand up and leave right then. And I didn't stand up and leave because I didn't want to ruin their wedding, but my question to you is, should I have stood up and walked out at that point, or would it have been wrong for me to do so? Um, Or what should I do if and when I find myself in other situations like this in the future? Many, many years ago, when Terry and I were new parents, our son was still an infant, we went to Terry's older brother's wedding. And my husband, my husband, his older brother uh, is a fundamentalist Christian, as is his wife. And they'd only known each other for a few months and they were getting married, which – I disapproved of. I was the gay guy at the fundamentalist Christian wedding disapproving of everything because I don't think people should marry uh, young, even though Terry and I very young had a child together. We didn't get married. We didn't do anything crazy. I don't think people should marry young uh, or marry after knowing each other for just three months. But mad props to Terry's brother. Mad props. Who says that anymore except old fucks like me? But mad props to Terry's brother and his wife. They're still together. They've been together for 16, 17 years. And, you know, they've walked the walk of their values. They weren't able to conceive themselves and they adopted a child, a relative of theirs who was otherwise going to be cast off into the foster care system. And they stepped up and they've been great parents and they're lovely people Uh, and still together. So I was wrong. But the wedding, going all the way back to the wedding, was in a fundamentalist Christian church with anti-choice literature everywhere and – you know, one man, one woman poster on the wall, I think, uh, in the hallway. And we let the family know that me in the pew, because Terry was one of the groomsmen up on the altar, that if there was anti-gay bigotry as a part of the service, that I would be up and out of that church, loudly out of that church. I wouldn't say anything, but I would not uh, hesitate to drop a few hymnals uh, and slap up a few uh, – kneelers on my way out of the pews. And so nothing happened. I, I don't know if nothing happened because we made it very clear that we were primed for something happening and we would not stay if something happened. And potentially not just I would leave with our baby, but Terry would walk off the altar. Like we just weren't going to have it. And so it didn't happen. Whether it didn't happen because it wasn't ever a part of the plan or it didn't happen because 
there were gay people in the room. It didn't fucking happen. I was primed to get up and go, but I was really nervous about having to do that. I didn't want to have to get up and go because it did feel, you know, you felt like you're going to be the biggest asshole in the, in the world at that moment. But I was committed to doing it because it would have been wrong. Remember, this was 17 years ago when people who felt this way were a little freer tossing that bigotry around under the assumption that everyone in this church must agree with whatever big thing the pastor is going to say. So what I'm about to tell you to do I recognize is not easy because at that moment when I was waiting potentially in the pews primed to do it myself, I was a ball of tension with an infant in my arms. I share that story with you to – Put the metal in you that the next time this happens, the next time you're at a church and there is a wedding and anti-gay bigotry is incorporated into the service, that you get up and go, that you leave, that you walk out of that service. Your sitting still in the pews is assent. It's complicity in, the, in, in that delivering of that message. What you're saying at that moment is, yeah, yeah, we're all straight here and yeah, we all agree with you. Yeah, we all think it's terrible that those people can get married. And if anyone accuses you after having walked out of that wedding that you ruined it, that you ruined the wedding by walking out during the bigot section of the service, you turn around and say, you know who ruined the wedding? The pastor, the preacher who used this wedding as an opportunity to inject anti-gay bigotry into the ears of ever, all the assembled, to inject his anti-gay bigotry into the service. That was the ruination of this wedding. Not me refusing to tolerate that, but that. That's what you do the next time it happens. Get up and go, and that's what you say if anyone confronts you after about you ruining the wedding. It wasn't you. It was him. Some regular themes here on the Lovecast. We talk about sex. We talk about being GGG. We talk about sex toys. We talk about being considerate of your partners. We talk about being thoughtful. We talk about being good lays, and that's not just always about technique. And that can involve other stuff, other stuff like sheets, clean sheets and good sheets. Sheets matter. Give a sheet. Think of beds you've been in and how a nice soft sheet aids the fucking that happens there. It makes you want to come back there. That's why I'm now a big fan of Bull and Branch, and I think you should be too. Their sheets are soft and they're comfortable, which is good for company, and Bull and Branch is a good company. They use 100% organic cotton, and they are the first brand of bedding out there to be certified fair trade, which means that their workers are all treated well. And they have made luxury bedding affordable. They're so confident that you're going to love their products at Bull and Branch that they want you to try them risk-free for 30 nights. And if you order right now, they will give you 50 bucks off a set of sheets plus free shipping. Just go to bullandbranch.com and use the promo code SAVAGE. That's right. Get 50 bucks toward a sheet set, a good sheet set, by going right now to B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com and using the promo code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. I have been living with my girlfriend for the last seven months, and neither of us have ever lived with a significant other before. And the way our relationship is going, she wants to be with me for the rest of our lives. She doesn't want me to propose for now, but she wants to know that she and I are on the same page. And the truth is, is that we're not. I have doubts. She's wonderful in many ways, but the thought of us spending the rest of our lives together, I don't see it. And I was listening today about how you were talking to the woman and said that it's very young and it's a very useful thing for people to be afraid of hurting the other when they break up with them. And I've expressed this fear to my girlfriend, but at the same time, I don't know what to do. We live together. We share a life together. We have friends. We have uh, a lease that we both pay. The idea of letting go of all that because somewhere down the road, I don't want us to get married, even though we're in a good relationship right now, worries me. Well, that was awkward. People leaving their phone numbers so I can call them back in case I want to ask them questions about their questions. And I called this caller back and 
he couldn't talk because he was sitting right next to the girlfriend that he isn't sure he wants to marry one day. And so, of course, he couldn't talk about that in front of her. So we had to say goodbye. And I promised him I would record a little advice for him, even though I wasn't able to chat with him. All right. So on the one hand, we have what could seem like cliche male fear of intimacy issues. On the other hand, she may not be the person you want to be with for the rest of your life. And that's fine. I do think that sometimes people get cold feet or they become unsure of their commitment to a person that is lovely and that they could actually spend the rest of their lives with because there's something about the thought of spending the rest of our lives together that really, you know, makes people think about their lives being over and no one wants their life to be over. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together in a way sort of rushes you to the end of your life. You know the end of the story, at least relationship-wise. It's this person forever. Now I'm dead. And people don't like to think about their lives ending. And there's something again about that thought that it involves really rushing to the end, flipping to the last chapter of the book and reading the last page. Right? You know who you're going to die with. And that sometimes I think informs that fear of intimacy thing or fear of commitment thing because you don't want to be over. And that commitment says this huge part of your life, you know, romantic attachments, sexual freedom, perhaps uh, new relationships, new experiences, new people, the orifices, all of it, that's over. And you're putting all your chips on this one person and you're done with all that. It's over. And that can really put the zap on people's heads and and prevent them from committing to someone who is lovely and who they – if they could get over this fear of death shit, this over shit that they would like to be with for the rest of their life. They could be with for the rest of their life. On the other hand, sometimes we just coast along in a good enough relationship because it makes us happy enough and it pays half the rent. And we're biding our time knowing sooner or later we're getting out of this relationship because this person that we are stringing along isn't the person we want to commit to. It's a shitty thing to do. It's a shitty thing when you allow someone to assume, to make the reasonable assumption that you are open to marrying them or committing to them for life uh, when you're not. She would like you both to be on the same page. And unless you've been as honest with her as you just were with us in recording your call, she most likely assumes you are on the same page. You've probably jollied her along with some kind words about how, yeah, you could see that. Yeah, marriage in the cards one day, vague, 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 no timeline, no time frame, right? That, yeah, you see yourself as a married man one day, not, not this moment, one day, and maybe you don't say married to you so that you technically have an out. You're not technically lying to her. But if you are sure that she is not who you want to be with, if you are sure she is not someone that you can commit to, if you are sure you will never be on the same page, you have to end this relationship. It is cruel. It is cruel to draw it out. It is cruel to string her along. It is cruel to allow her to continue to pay half the rent, to do half the chores, to perform half the oral sex on the assumption that you're going to commit to her. You're going to marry her. As she wishes to marry you. But you got to end it. If you know. If on the other hand you think you're just not sure yet. And maybe five more months. Six more months. But within a year or two. If somebody else is on the marriage track. You have to. Figure it the fuck out. And if you don't want to be on that track. You need to dis fucking bark. Snacks. Ladies and gentlemen, by now you have either signed up for Nature Box or you are some kind of idiot. And I don't like to think that my listeners are any kind of idiotic. So please, you need to go to Nature Box and you need to sign up and get your free sample. The people at Nature Box are snack wizards, hell bent on ending your hunger and keeping you healthy. With over 100 nutritionist approved snacks to choose from, Nature Box has something for everyone, all with zero artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners, zero grams of trans fat, no high fructose corn syrup, no ground glass, no tax, nothing, and no artificial nonsense. They send you a box filled with snacks that you choose, or they can surprise you with snacks that they choose for you. Snacks like whole wheat chocolate cookie bites, which are amazing, ranch kale chips, garlic plantains, and the list goes on and on and on. 
Nature Box is a present that you get to give yourself. And now I get to give you the chance to try Nature Box for free with a trial box featuring five of their most popular snacks. You're going to say no to free snacks? No, you are not because that is crazy talk. Start your free trial right now by going to naturebox.com slash savage. You know you're going to snack. Get smart about it and support the Lovecast with Nature Box. Again, go to naturebox.com slash savage to get that free trial box of their delicious snacks. Hi, Dan. I am a 25-year-old heterosexual female living in the Midwest calling because I, although am identify as straight, um, do enjoy watching girl-on-girl lesbian porn. Um, it turns me on. I, it's mostly because it's more sensual from a female's perspective. I'm you know, open to being bisexual or lesbian, but I'm not attracted to females, so I don't think that that's the case. I'm in a long-term relationship of about five years with a boyfriend that I met in college. Uh, he recently found out about my um, being into lesbian porn um, because he he accidentally stumbled on my search history on my iPad. He has completely shut me out. He is completely horrified. I tried to explain to him that it was because I it turned me on, nothing else. He told me he would rather that I cheated on him. He could get past that further. I know that he's not as well informed as I am, partially because I listen to your podcast regularly. I don't know what to do. I He's completely shut me out. He is fully prepared to end this relationship, though he's not completely sure, still parceling it out. I'm trying to give him his space. Please, <laughs> any advice that you have, I'm just completely, completely at a loss. Um, you know, I should mention that part of my uh, enjoying that type of pornography is is that you know I, I do think that there's a little bit left to be desired in our sex life. He's probably gone down on me five times in five years. It's just not something that he is extremely comfortable with. Um, I tried to explain that to him as well, and and shared with him that I. You know, I think we could be a little bit more open about what we're looking for sexually, um, but but he just was not hearing it and really won't accept my enjoyment of lesbian porn for anything other than completely disgusting, alien, and abnormal. I get this question semi-regularly, not in all the details and specifics, but somebody who calls me. And tells me or writes me at Savage Love the Column and tells me that this awful, terrible, shitty person is about to dump them. And how can I help them talk this awful, shitty person out of dumping them? I don't want your boyfriend not to dump you. I want your boyfriend to dump you for your sake. Because your boyfriend is an awful, shitty, insecure, full of shit, shitty, shitty person. And you would be better off without him. Period. The end. Right? He is not a good lover. He doesn't reciprocate. He's kind of shut down sexually. He's slut shaming you. He's infantile and immature and insecure. And he just sounds like an awful person. You don't tick off his redeeming qualities. And maybe he has some, uh, if I were dating him, I, he would have to be the heir to an enormous fortune for me to put up with this shit. I don't think you should put up with this shit. And I don't think you should apologize for it. And I don't think you should let him successfully shame you. You should say to him, people are infinitely complex. A, here is a Reddit thread. Google straight guys who watch gay porn. Here's a Reddit thread all written by these straight guys who watch gay porn and get off on it. And there are lesbians who watch gay male porn and get off on it. And some straight women watch lesbian porn. And here are these scientific studies that show that women tend to respond to all sorts of different kinds of porn, not just porn that aligns with their sexual orientation. But porn that's just sort of like all over the place works for a lot of women. And this is the porn that works for me and I like it. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to stop watching it. And if you don't like that, if you can't accept me for who I am, if you can't embrace my sexuality, then we are not going to be good partners to one another in a relationship. 
in a sexual relationship. So you found my porn. I apologize for having hidden that from you for five years. I shouldn't have hidden it from you. I should have shared it with you immediately because then we could have nipped this bullshit relationship in the bud. But here we are. If you want me, if you want to be with me, this is who I am. If you don't like that, if you can't accept me for who I am, I'm going to go find someone who can. And you know what, lady? I promise you. The world is full of straight guys who would like nothing better than to kick back and watch some dyke porn with their straight girlfriends and then eat their girlfriend's pussies for hours and hours and hours. Go find one. We're going to pause here for a second so I can give a shout out to our friends at harrys.com. Harry's is fixing a problem many of us have, paying too much for overpriced razors. Let's admit, shaving with a dull blade isn't fun. Sometimes we cut or scrape ourselves with dull blades and draw blood. Razors are expensive. They run about four bucks a blade, which is why some of us are using dull blades and reusing dull blades. And a guy who shaves every day can spend hundreds of dollars a year just on razors if you want sharp blades all the time. And when we go to the store to buy razors, we sometimes have to deal with those pesky locked up plexiglass cabinets. But Harry's, Harry's gives us high quality razors at about half the price of those big brand blades. They make their razors in their own factory in Germany and they're well engineered for sharpness and high performance. And Harry ships them for free to your front doorstep. And because they make and ship their own blades, Harry's is a more efficient company, which means they can give us factory direct pricing. The starter Truman set is an amazing deal. A razor handle with a great look and feel, three razor blades, and a choice of either shave cream or foaming shave gel. You get all of this for just 15 bucks. Go to harrys.com and get five bucks off your first purchase with coupon code DAN. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and enter the code DAN at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 50-year-old woman. I am married and I have been with my husband for 24 years. When we first started out, we would have off-the-wall sex, just amazingly great He was not very sexually experienced when we got together. He's very, very well endowed. Um, But just kind of like the past 10, 15 years or so, I don't know what started going on with him. He kind of had a little bit of a bout with depression. And our doctor said that he has some testosterone issues, um, dropping levels of testosterone. But he has this anxiety, I guess, about having sex with me now and he is to a point where he's prudish where he doesn't want to do anything really uh, and I'm kind of even uncomfortable discussing the fact that I masturbate when I get home from work before he's there so I mean I love him and I, I don't want to get divorced but hmm, I'm starting to wonder what other opportunities are there? I mean, I'm 50 and we've been together for a while, but I take care of myself. I'm athletic. I'm a long distance runner. So I can easily pass for 30, uh, to be a 30 year old, no problem. And I just, you know, I'd like to stay with him, but I feel like I'm being held hostage sexually. Joan Price is my go-to expert on Sex for the Senior set, and we're broadly defining senior there. She's the author of several books, including the new Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50, How to Maintain or Regain a Spicy, Satisfying Sex Life, and her award-winning Naked at Our Age, Talking Out Loud About Senior Sex. you got to read her blog, www.nakedatourage.com, where she talks senior sex and reviews sex toys from a senior perspective. Okay, Joan, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. I appreciate it. So this woman's call, this, her question, her problem, she's in her 50s. She's been with her husband for almost half her life. Yeah. Uh, they had a great and rocking kick-ass sex life once upon a time. He's got a giant dick. He was super adventurous. But it sounds like whether it's depression, low testosterone, anxiety, whatever, he's done with sex and she's not. What do you tell someone in that situation? Well, she says they haven't had good sex for the past 15 years. 15 years, Dan. So she says she she feels like she's being held hostage sexually. Well, that's no way to live. So your advice Uh, would be to get out. 
Well, first, my advice would be to talk to his doctor because both depression and antidepressants can have sexual side effects and they can be changed. They can be treated. But it doesn't sound like he's interested. Sounds like he, he really is done. He, he went back to being prudish. She doesn't want to do anything anymore. So I'd say she should talk to his doctor first, maybe see a sex therapist to get at the real issues because who knows why. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on for him? Might be medical, might not be. Might be something entirely different. But they're not talking. And if those two fail, I'd say she could get out. Because she, you know, she says she's athletic, could pace, pass for 30. She doesn't say he's athletic mm-hmm. or could pass for, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's not happy. She, she sounds ready to move on. She doesn't want to be divorced. But she didn't say... I don't want to be divorced from him. She said, I don't want to be divorced. Okay, so uh, what about my standard advice or the advice I frequently give in a situation like this, which is I just kind of throw up my hands and say, do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. If divorce isn't an option for economic reasons, for social reasons, uh, for religious reasons, and you're going to lose your mind if you don't get some sex – Go get some sex and keep your mouth shut about it and come home to your loving partner and don't tell them about it. I don't know that the marriage is that good despite the sex. She doesn't really indicate that. Mm-hmm. Well, no, but, but let's doesn't. let's game it out. Let's game it out. She didn't say, okay, uh, you know, it's a loving in every way. But I, I hear this frequently. So let's take this as a yeah. hypothetical. So I hear this frequently. It's a great relationship. I love him. We're great partners. We're great parents together. We have a great like social life. And I really love him and I care for him. Or And he's economically dependent on me or I am on him. And I don't want to leave the marriage, but there's no sex. There hasn't been sex for years. Yeah. He doesn't want to have sex with me. And he doesn't want to let me have sex with anybody else. What do I do? And my answer sometimes in that case is do what you got to do. Yeah, and I would agree with you. Now, we don't know whether they've even ever brought this up because mm-hmm. she, she feels uncomfortable even telling him that she masturbates. So I doubt she said, I feel like I'm being held hostage sexually. I want to give me, give me a pass for doing what I have to do. Mm-hmm. But I think that could be her first step or her third step. After the doctor, the sex therapist, then she just can, has to tell him, you know, I can't go on like this is killing me. And if he says, no, I want you to be as sexless as I am, then I'd say she does what she has to do. It might mean leaving the marriage. Right. Now, there might be a bit, ugh, she's probably not happy in that marriage. She doesn't indicate she's happy. Oftentimes, though, people aren't happy in a marriage because they, there is no sex in their life. They get sex in yeah. their life, even if they're getting it outside the marriage, and they're much more content in the marriage because the marriage no longer means no sex forever. Well, I absolutely agree with you. If that's the case, then she does what she has to do. And, 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 I, and I agree with you yeah. that in the best you know, possible circumstances, it should be above board. It should be honest. Even if it's the honesty is around uh, do what you need to do, I don't want to know about it. And so you're yes. doing it and there is some sneaking around, but it's you know, with your partner's you know, re- request that you kind of sneak around, that you kind of keep it from them so they can live you know, in denial about the fact that you're fucking other people or other person if it's one other person. So, so I agree with you. Like be best, best to be it. best to be honest. But some people are in circumstances, particular circumstances, yeah. and it's easy for people on the outside to say you should always leave and integrity, and you should always be honest, and you should never deceive. It's easy for someone outside a marriage that can have become kind of a trap to say that to someone, and it's very easy in a sex negative culture for people to say, "Well, you should just go without sex." Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. But realize there's one more thing. She's 50. That doesn't mean her life is over. That doesn't mean she couldn't start over again with someone else or with a bunch of other people who knows what she's ready for. Mm-hmm. So, so let's not assume that staying in the marriage is the only way for her. So I agree that life doesn't end at 50 and she can still start over and, and have new relationships and find a new partner, make a new commitment. But just the reality of it is, you know, we talk about – these sorts of relationship conflicts, uh, you know, with a Panglossian vibe, like in the best of all possible worlds, you can be perfectly honest in the best of all possible worlds. It's easy to leave and start over, but not everybody lives in the best of all possible worlds where you can be honest with your partner or you can leave and start over. Some people are trapped by circumstance, by affection. Even my partner needs me. They're dependent on me emotionally, financially, whatever Lee, and I can't go, but I can't stay if I'm not having 
some sort of sex in my life. So I'm going to go get the sex of my life and stay. And there are circumstances, and we rarely acknowledge this. I think the professional advice industrial complex rarely acknowledges this. There are circumstances where cheating is the least worst option. And and that's true. I agree with you. We don't disagree about anything here. (laughs) And we definitely agree that she needs some sex in her life. She does. And she shouldn't feel guilty about masturbating. And she shouldn't hide that from your partner. You shouldn't have to hide the fact that you masturbate from your spouse. Absolutely not. You should masturbate on top of your spouse. (laughs) Joan Price, she is an author, an expert on senior sex. And you should check out her new book, Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50, How to Maintain or Regain a Spicy, Satisfying Sex Life. And read her blog where you can read her reviews of these sex toys and others at nakedatourage.com. Joan, that was great. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Thanks, Dan. Joan and I continue our conversation on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can find and subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old bisexual woman in New York and I'm a big fan of the show. I'm calling about an incident that happened last week when I was on a week-long rafting trip in the Grand Canyon with my dad and my brother. Uh, I was really attracted to one of our guides who's 29. Um, And on the second night, we stayed up late playing bocce on the beach after everyone had gone to bed. My dad knew we were playing bocce and he played for a while with us too before he also went to bed. Uh, The guide and I ended up hooking up after playing bocce for a while. We hooked up on the beach, a little bit removed from where all the people on the trip were camping. After we were done hooking up, I went back to my family's campsite and saw my dad was still awake. He said that he had woken up in the middle of the night and saw that I wasn't in my cot, so he came to check on me and ended up seeing me giving the guide a blowjob. I apologized that he had to see that and assured him that it was totally consensual. Long story short, my dad ended up yelling at the guy the next day and asking for a trip refund since the image of me and this guy supposedly ruined his entire trip and he was not going to be able to enjoy himself after seeing that. He said that if the guide didn't repay him personally for the trip, he would come after the company and get the guide fired, which would ruin the guide's career. His rationale for asking for the money is that the company should have a code of ethics that forbids guides from hooking up with customers and the guide failed to follow ethical standards. My argument is that the only harm that was done was that my dad now has to confront the fact that his 26-year-old daughter is a sexually active adult who makes her own choices. And I don't think the guide should have to face financial consequences or a career, a ruined career, because we made a poor choice of location for our actions. So what are your thoughts? Was my dad overreacting and asking for thousands of dollars to be refunded just because his daughter and the guide hooked up? Or do you think he's being fair? Your dad is being a complete and total asshole. And if I were those guys and if I were you, I would present a united front. And if I were those guys, I would also go and talk to my employer immediately about this so that dad could go after the company and the company could tell your dad to fuck off because you are an adult. The guide is an adult. This isn't a power imbalance relationship. It's not a professor who's 29 and a grad student who's 26. It's two adults who met on a vacation. One was – working, one was vacating, and you guys had a completely consensual and sounds like a wonderful and joyful short-term relationship. Wonderful, lovely encounter. If your dad was traumatized by what he saw, that's really his problem. You're a 26-year-old adult woman. You know, when you don't come home at night, wherever it is that you live, your dad doesn't go out to check on you. I think dad suspected something might be happening between you and the guide and he didn't like it and he went out looking for evidence of what he didn't want to see and saw it and it's his fucking problem. But rather than be mad at you, which he knows isn't going to fly and could potentially fuck up your relationship with him or his you going forward and you guys are stuck with each other for the next 50 years, he is going after this, this boy, this man whose dick you sucked. You need to tell your dad to knock it the fuck off. You need to tell your dad that if he blackmails these guys into giving him all of this money because you had a consensual sexual encounter, you will keep track of where those guys are. And when dad dies and you get your inheritance, you are going to pay them back that money. Or if you have the means, you're going to pay them back that money now. Because these guys, guys who are working as guides in the Grand Canyon for people on vacation, they don't have thousands of dollars to spare. They're probably making just enough to cover their expenses and scrape along and enjoy life, 
what a wonderful life getting to take people through the Grand Canyon and what a wonder, you know, to constantly be on vacation and occasionally get a blowjob from a hot 26 year old bi girl. Sounds like a great life, but it's not lawyer, doctor, Wall Street money. So this is really going to hurt them if indeed they are afraid of being fired by their employers for this consensual encounter. Come to their defense. Your dad is being an asshole. Hi, Dad. I'm the tech savvy at-risk youth. I am calling about episode 455 and the guy who called in to get advice about whether or not to confront somebody who had creeped out his friend. And I just wanted to say thank you to that dude because he's killing it. And I feel like his friend's really lucky to have someone like that. He sounds like a great ally. I feel like he handled the situation really well. It was helpful. It was in a de-escalating kind of way. And we need more guys like that to get on board and say something when someone's being creepy. Because I think something that men may not realize is how scary it is for a girl sometimes to turn someone down. As lady humans, we're anticipating sometimes hostility, and uh, it can be really scary. Uh, a couple months ago, I was at a pub, and this dude was really coming up on me and touching me, and I had gently asked him to kind of leave me alone for a bit, and I kept moving, and he kept following me. And I was with a couple guy friends, and they were laughing. They thought it was kind of funny. They were joking around about it. And honestly, I feel like they didn't read how much this guy was making me feel uncomfortable. And when I had said no, thank you to him, he kind of disrespected that, and that's how I felt. You know, he didn't regard my no as valid. And it would have been nice if one of my guy friends had come over and in a helpful way just said, like, hey, buddy, like, you're kind of being a creeper. Maybe step off a little bit because it's kind of making everyone uncomfortable. Not in a, like, I wouldn't have wanted to fight this or anything, but just as a way to say, like, hey, buddy, let's have a chat for a second. Like, there's something that you don't realize you might be coming off as, but it's kind of kind of putting everybody down. Anyway, I just want to say dudes of the world, Take note, this is exactly the kind of guy we want to hang around with and be around, and we need allies like this dude. So virtual high five to you. That was really cool, and uh, yeah, good luck with the whole situation, and thanks a lot. And we're going to leave it there. The deadline for submissions to HumpFest 2015 approaches. It's in late September. For information about making and submitting a short five-minute or less amateur porn film for my big annual porn film festival, go to HumpFest.com and click on Submissions. All right, 206-201-2720. What is that? That is the number that you call to leave a question or a comment for a future show. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Humpfest on Twitter at Humpfest. And follow Joan Price, this week's guest, on Twitter at Joan Price. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth. And we'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 